Welcome to Season 10 of American Political History, the North American Contest. Empty Promises. The French and her allies began probing the defenses of all the forts along the northern frontiers, finally choosing to attack Fort Massachusetts with a force of 700 French and their allies. Fort Massachusetts was garrisoned by 22 militiamen. After days of heavy fighting, Sergeant John Hawk surrendered to the French officer, specifically to the French officer and not their native allies. The fort was burned and then the French officer broke his word, giving the English prisoners to his native allies. Luckily for those colonial Americans, those natives respected the terms of surrender, exchanging the prisoners a year later with New England. After a summer of French raiding on the frontier forts, Governor Shirley of Massachusetts sent word to Whitehall and to the other colonies that an expedition should be formed to take Quebec. This proposal was approved by the English Secretary of State and Duke of Newcastle himself. He directed the other colonial governors to cooperate, expecting their full support for this expedition. Generously, Whitehall decided that it would be paying to supply the expedition and still promised the colonial militia a stake in the expedition's plunder. England would deliver eight battalions of regulars under Lieutenant General James St. Clair. Massachusetts was to provide 3,500 militiamen, Connecticut 1,000, New York 1,600, New Hampshire 500, Rhode Island 300, New Jersey 500, and even Maryland and Virginia were to send 400 militia of their own. In addition, Parliament had voted to pay New England for its expense of capturing Fort Louisburg. Within weeks, word had spread to Quebec the mustering of such a large force could have no other target than the capital of Canada. By July, the colonial militia had assembled, but the promised British regulars had not appeared. Unknown in colonial America was that they had been diverted to the European theater of war, fighting off the coast of France. And Whitehall did not consider this change of plans important enough to notify colonial governors. It wasn't until the next spring that the colonial militia was finally disbanded after waiting almost six months for those supposed reinforcements. And Whitehall did not consider this change of plans important enough to notify their colonial governors. It wasn't until the next spring that this colonial militia expedition was disbanded, having waited for almost six months before word was given to them. The French, on the other hand, had not forgotten the loss of Fort Louisbourg. They assembled a fleet of 65 warships and more than 3,100 French regulars. This expedition left the French port at Brest in June 1746. Unfortunately for the French, after leaving the port, a mysterious disease broke out, and then the fleet sailed into the remnants of a hurricane. By the time the fleet arrived off the coast of Nova Scotia, they were forced to bury over 100 men at sea, including the admiral of the fleet. The vice-admiral, now acting admiral, called a council of officers. He proposed that they attack Annapolis Royal, strategically less important, but they would be able to say that they took something for the French crown. When the council of officers rejected this proposal outright, the vice-admiral committed suicide, rather than return to France with accusations of cowardice from his fellow officers. The third in command, and now acting admiral himself, decided that he would seize what supplies he needed from local Acadians. But the epidemic ravaging the fleet had only increased in fury. By October, they had converted 16 of their ships into floating hospitals, and nearly 2,400 men had died from the disease. Catastrophically, 
They had innocently sold surplus clothing from those who had died to their Algonquian allies. The Algonquians would be ravaged by the same disease in the preceding months. On October 27th, the fleet was struck yet again by another large storm. This time, the Council of Officers voted to return to France. They had been defeated by weather and disease, suffering grievous losses without firing a single shot against the English. King Louis XV was undeterred by this calamity. The next year, he outfitted another fleet, which left port in May 1747. This fleet's departure was spotted by an English fishing vessel. Once out at open sea, the French fleet was ambushed and destroyed by a large English fleet under the command of Admiral Warren and Anson. For his second grand success against the French, Admiral Warren would be knighted and elected to Parliament. The inability of the metropoles to project their power in North America did not deter regional warfare. A French expedition of 700 struck Fort No. 4. This was the third attack on the fort in less than a year. The garrison of 30 militia was under the command of Captain Stevens. The French attacked all day, but without proper cannons, they were unable to breach the fort's defenses. That night, the French captain demanded the surrender of the fort, threatening that, If the colonial Americans do not take this final offer, I assure you that we will overrun you without mercy. Captain Stevens replied, I'll have to talk it over with the boys. He returned to the fort and held a town hall-style meeting in which every man unanimously voted to reject surrendering. When the sun rose the next morning, fighting continued all throughout the day. On the third morning, the French captain approached the fort and asked Captain Stevens if he would be willing to sell them some provisions so they could make the march back to Canada. Captain Stevens countered that he would give them five bushels of corn in exchange for every English prisoner that they had, here and back in Canada. Sheepishly, the French captain was forced to retreat with his hungry men. Commodore Charles North of the British Army was passing through Boston when he heard the tale of Captain Stevens' heroic stand at Fort No. 4. As a sign of respect for his valor, he sent Captain Stevens his personal English Army officer's sword. In response, Captain Stevens renamed Fort No. 4 to Charlestown after the Commodore that had honored him. Meanwhile, William Johnson was the well-connected young Irish nephew of Commodore Warren, that same Commodore Warren that was knighted and elected to Parliament. Johnson was in colonial America to look after his uncle's huge land holdings along the Mohawk River. Johnson had integrated himself culturally with the Mohawks, even being adopted as a member of their society, taking a Mohawk wife who he would have eight children with. Johnson was appointed by the colony of New York as its official ambassador to the Iroquois. He conveyed that his Mohawk brothers were itching for the opportunity to strike the French and their Algonquian allies. New York was eyeing Crown Point, a strategically important frontier fort, which would have to be taken to mount a successful attack on Montreal. New York cobbled together an expedition of 3,000 troops in Albany. But the militia members had not been paid for some time by New York's assembly. When it looked like they might actually have to fight in real warfare, they began to mutiny. Worse yet, the Mohawk had already compromised their peace with Canada on the promise of a large expedition from New York. The Iroquois now complained that they had been duped into war with Canada on a failed promise of New York. The Iroquois would hold a congress in Albany, where they would listen to several agents of the English colonies, all producing generous gifts for them. 
the Iroquois promised that they were at the ready to join any credible English expeditions that would actually attack and assault the French. This Congress was merely to assess the will of the English colonies and their actions and ability to wage war. Recent events have cast a shadow upon the resolve of the English to wage war against the French. In New England, a bitter political conflict had arisen. Commodore Knowles of the English Navy had decided to apply the English culturally accepted practice, which was not typically used in colonial America. Needing crewmen, he press-ganged 45 into service. New England sailors did not view this as an accepted practice. They viewed it as Commodore Knowles kidnapping their fellow citizens. To the astonishment of the Commodore, the reaction was immediate on the part of the population of Boston, as a mob captured Knowles' officers in retaliation. Governor Shirley issued a proclamation on November 21, 1747, against the lewd and profligate persons whooping armed with cutlasses and other weapons threatening English naval officers, the local sheriff, and the general court of Boston. Commodore Knowles would release those that he had press gang, take his officers back, and sail to England. And the end of the King George War would once again be dictated from Europe. The Metropole signed a peace treaty on October 18, 1748. This treaty signaled the rise of Prussia as a European power and codified the decline of the Dutch and Spanish empires. News of the peace arrived in Boston before Christmas. The terms of this treaty were not published to the public until March 1749. And when they arrived in Boston, they were not met with excitement or celebration by colonial Americans. Although the English were supposedly the victors in this war, the French had assisted upon the restoration of Cape Breton Island in order to defend the St. Lawrence. The treaty would hand Fort Louisbourg back to the French. It came as no consolation to the colonial Americans that England would get Madras and India in return. Once again, the treaty signed by the Metropole in London signaled that colonial Americans' needs were secondary. They were not rewarded for taking the most strategic fort in North America. It is estimated that around 500 colonial Americans died in combat and more than 1,100 died of disease while serving in the militia. The French in North America would lose 350 due to battle, but the disastrous naval expedition accounted for almost 2,500 French deaths. The war's outcome and the treatment of New Englanders by the English Navy started to turn politics bitter in Boston. When referencing Louisbourg, it was common thought, the next time there's a war with France, them lobster boxes can jolly well do the jobs themselves. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating and share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.